Welcome to Hummingbird, conversations about creativity, arts, literature, and life with Catherine Graham and Jessica Outram. Hi, I'm Jessica, and I'm coming to you today from Coburg, Ontario. We respectfully acknowledge that the land on which we gather and learn daily is the treaty and traditional territory of the Michisaugig Anishinaabeg. We are grateful for our relationship with the First Nations of this territory, for their care for and teachings about the land, the water, and all our relations. As people of the Williams Treaty, we continue our journey to strengthen our understanding of our treaty relationship and of how to move forward together in a good way. thought it would be good if we just jumped right in and started talking about the experience of reading poetry. I'll never forget a conversation you and I had years ago where you told me that you, at the time, you weren't reading poetry before bed because it would be too stimulating and would keep you up at night. So I'm curious, is that still the case? Because that's always stuck with me. And or when is the best time for reading poetry? Hi, Jessica. Lovely to be in this space with you. Uh, Yes, that is so true. I have learned the hard way that I can't read poetry (laughs) at night. <laughs> so it does stimulate my brain such that it feels like I have caffeine in it. And yeah, even as much as I want to, then I can't sleep. So it gets the synapses going and gets me all charged up. Yeah, the imagination just takes off. And <laughs> that is very true to this day. <laughs> I love it. Well, that's awesome. So when is the best time of day to read poetry? I mean, at at any time is a great time. And obviously for me, I can't read at bedtime, but I really enjoy reading poetry in the morning now. Mm -hmm. I find that that's often when I'm doing my writing as well too. And I will start sort of my writing practice with poems and reading poems. And as a teacher of poetry as well, I'm always reading poems and students' poems and also poems used for my teaching. And yeah, and I guess too, um, in social media, I follow people who share poems. So I feel like I'm always immersed in poems in some way and, and excited by new ones and learning new things about poems that I've already encountered, because there's always something new in a poem. And because we change and the poem is what it is. And so there's new insights that can arise even with ones that we've known for years. So I wish I could read them at night. <laughs> but that's not the case <laughs> for me. But Perhaps listeners are okay with reading at night because I think any time is a good time to read poetry and also too to listen to, to poets read their work. There's so many wonderful ways that you can do that now online and hear, hear poets read and also then experience the, the gift of receiving the poem through the ear and uh, mm-hmm. how that also stimulates the imagination in a different way than when you're following it on the page with the eye. And so I think it's an interesting way to to experience the poem and the way that the words can kind of come to you in a different way and the right. music and the music. I like the morning too. That's a good time of day for me. I wake up incredibly early every day. Last week was, was a particularly fascinating week. I was waking up at three 30 or four 
and then I couldn't fall asleep again. So that's a nice time for me if I'm not distracted by social media and the news to get into reading poetry and reading anything really, but particularly poetry in the morning. There's something about sinking into a poem first thing to start the day. It's almost like a meditation. So I, I quite enjoy that. And I found that Every year I'm surrounded by more poetry. And I don't know if that's because of who I am and how my life is growing more into poetry every year, or if there's just more poetry out there and more poet voices having spotlight and having more access to poetry through the use of online tools or online readings. And it's been so wonderful. I've just, I've absolutely loved that. For me at night, my lesson last week was I attended a really amazing two night session that was put on by the Banff Center for the Arts that put a spotlight on Christy Belcourt, who's one of mm. my favorite Métis artists. Yeah. And the first night she presented her work and spoke for an hour. And then the second night it was a, a Q&A. And I think that's why I had trouble sleeping. It's like I woke up thinking about her work. So hearing her talk about her process and the impact that she wants to make with her work, because for her, all of her paintings, everything that she's done is, is part of community, is connected to, to land and language and culture. And that just lights me right up and gets me thinking in all sorts of directions and excited to reflect through my own work and how I can be more intentional. So I found that to be really inspiring and engaging. So I, I can relate completely to having to exercise caution in the evenings yes. because <laughs> if you get ramped up, you got to somehow wind down. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. It should come with a warning, right? Yeah. Poetry. Don't read after well I guess bedtimes are different for people but uh after 10 maybe I don't know <laughs> <laughs> for no. me it's nine I can't do much after nine but these these talks where I think they started at 6 30 and even that I guess it was too late in the day for me because it just got my my mind revved right up but also that's exciting when the mind is revved up I know certain things will spark something and and there's much there not only to process but also to sort of work with as a creator as well too and you don't quite know what's going to happen, but things are stirring there to, to bring you to the next step of something mm -hmm. that you're going to be working on too. I think too, because she's one of those artists who is such a big influence on me creatively, even though I don't do artwork like she does, there's so much that I respect about her work and the way that she engages with it that I want to learn from. It's exciting. And I know, you know, you and I have had these conversations before too, that we have poets that have that same relationship that get into our heads and light a fire and we can't yes. get them out. Either it's a line or an image. And, and then from the poems we've read, other poems are born. Yes. I think too, that there's this sort of way that the, the line of energy shifts and, and morphs and then starts something new and becomes something that we need to explore and grapple with. And these can be starting points. And I think too, for those listeners out there who 
who want to write poetry or are writing poetry, then they know too the importance of reading poetry. It really is important to learn the craft through how other poets are doing it. And then also to allow yourself to be inspired by something that happens to you when you're reading a poetry and see where that can take you as well too. I was speaking with a poet friend, Aisha Chatterjee, and we were in our conversations, we, we have this phone conversation where we will read each other a poem. So we end our conversation with poetry and one of us said, I can't remember if it was myself or Aisha, but we said every conversation should end with a poem. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I think that that uh, should just be something that we should put out there. Yes, every conversation should end with a poem. So mm. yeah, and there's so many poems out there waiting for readers, waiting for listeners, and they need us. It's not as prevalent as music, but it's there and it's available to us. And it's just about, I think, spending time with words, language, and allowing it to unfold in whatever way it unfolds for us when we are encountering the poem. Because I think there's unfortunately a lot of fear with reading poetry and having to know exactly what it means and, and feeling that sometimes that it's trying to trick us or, or if I don't get it, then I don't like that feeling. And, and so it's really just allowing it to happen, much like when you go to an art show and experience the art on the wall or whatever the shape and form is and allowing it to be what it is for you at that particular time. Right. And that is so important. And I'm glad you mentioned that because we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago about how, you know, when you were sharing some of your poems around the quarry, I said to you when we were off the recording, yeah, I said, you know, I was feeling very vulnerable as the reader to be commenting on your poetry <laughs> because I was worried, what if I got it wrong, you know, but I love what you said about the importance of looking at the lines and the poems through your own lived experience when you're the reader and what does this connect to with you that when I'm listening to you read your poems or reading your poetry it's not to necessarily get into your head it's to get into my own and to find those connection points right and that's to me part of poetry is about it's that place for us to find ourselves in that shared experience of being human yes that place for us to find ourselves in I think you should write that down Jessica <laughs> That's okay. a beautiful phrase. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe that's the title of our podcast today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, again, it's organic to, to something that just appears in the happening of what the experience is and and uh, poetry allows for that. And it's a it's generally a short form. So it's not necessarily that you have to sit there for hours and hours, which we do when we're reading novels. I mean, we love novels as well, too, and and what they can provide for us as readers. But Poetries are these short little punchy portals. And we always seem to have P words coming into our podcast. So there we are, some more <laughs> P words there. And But yeah, we've also talked about how other poets influence us or, or are catalysts for our own creative work. And Jessica, you, you have a connection to Emily Dickinson with your poetry. Did you want to talk about that? So the name of my upcoming poetry book is called The Thing with Feathers. And I love Emily Dickinson's poem, The Thing with Feathers. So maybe I'll read that for people yeah. just so that they can yeah. ground themselves in that poem mm -hmm. first. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea, yet never in extremity, it asked a crumb of me. Every time I read that poem, 
I'm caught by surprise by the last line because I'm so fixated on the first line, that idea of hope as the thing with feathers that perches in the soul. It's like, that's the idea that sticks to me. And I forget the idea that it ends in, which is yet never in extremity, it asked a crumb of me. Mm -hmm. And that contrast, if that's the right word, I don't know. It's something, there's a tension, something Mm -hmm. pulling between this very concrete idea of hope being a thing with feathers perching in the soul to this abstract idea, but it, you know, asking a crumb, (laughs) (laughs) you know, there's, there's a tension in that and Mm -hmm. that I just find really fascinating. And so when I was working on my poetry book, trying to find the the way to a title or what is not easy work I'm learning. And and I feel like I'm so new as a poet still, but it's not easy work. And I, I find my whole book is about that tension between those two pieces and that balance of light and dark and the humility in understanding how much bigger the world is than what we're currently seeing. Mm -hmm. And my book follows the story of the the speaker. So it's a collection of poems, but it is the story of one female speaker throughout. And it looks at healing from trauma through mind, body, emotion, and spirit. And that gradual putting ourselves back together again, when we've broken apart. And a big part of the story is the not noticing that you're apart to begin with. Mm. And that was an experience that I had, you know, something's not quite right. You know, something's off, but you can't quite figure it out. And then one day you see things very differently than how you saw them before. And all along the way you carry with you just as, as the way life works is you carry this thread of hope with you and you go through your day and you, you don't stop, but you don't realize what that bigger story is all the time at play. I know I'm kind of speaking abstractly, but I, I want to, maybe I'll share, this is the poem that I wrote. That's the title poem mm-hmm. of the, mm-hmm. the book, the thing with feathers. And it kind of ties into that. So for me, it, it, you know, in the last few years, I remembered things that happened when I was younger that I had forgotten and it changed the way that I see my life and it changed the way that I understand everything about everything. And so everything that I thought was before is different now. And this one day, this was just within the last time is all messed up for me right now because of the pandemic. I think it was a year ago, maybe two Mm -hmm. years ago. I think it was during the first lockdown, quite honestly. And I went outside, I was going for daily walks by Lake Ontario and I went outside and as I went, something caught my eye under the tree at the, in the front yard. And I looked and there was, you know, this beautiful flower. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what a gorgeous flower that is. That is just absolutely stunning. Uh, Wow. I've never seen anything like that. It must have blown off of one of my neighbors. Like it was like the head of a flowers. It must have blown off. Is that a lily? I don't know. I wish I knew my flower names. Like I'm having this whole very animated conversation with myself in my head. Mm -hmm. And I walk to the lake. And then as I'm coming home, I can't stop thinking about this flower. And I go and have another look at it. And for whatever reason, I decide to poke at it and I flip it over and realize it's a dead bird and it wasn't a flower at all. And I thought, how could my mind think this was a flower when really it's a dead bird? And I thought, this isn't this a metaphor for my life. (laughs) 
wow. <laughs> and, and, and to date, right? Like I felt like I had this life that was a flower, but really I was always in this constant presence of this, this dead bird until I learned how to, to let that go and move mm-hmm. it on. And so that's, that's what this poem is. So I'll read that now that you've got some context. Thank you. The thing with feathers, it catches her gaze by the trunk of the cherry blossom tree, perhaps a wilted flower delivered in the wind enchanted by its quiet form. She walks to the lake. There is beauty in death. She remembers when in despair, she prayed for a thousand angels to carry her when she was too heavy counting river glass beads to pass time and waiting for sunflower doors to appear. For years, she dreamed of blue fish and willow trees wearing hummingbird crowns she didn't understand. An hour later, she arrives home again, the tree at her feet, and now she sees feathers, not a flower after all, yet holding on to beauty in its way, just like her. You know, it's interesting. I counted your title, The Thing with Feathers, when Dickinson's hope is, is removed and you get The Thing with Feathers. Already I was experiencing something eerie and something off and how those words taken away make sense given this poem. So I think it's so interesting too, to see how talking about parts and holes, even with take those parts away from the Dickinson poem and what we're left with proves quite powerful to, to how the poem connects and that idea of perception and the way too, in talking about time and the elasticity of elasticity, you know what I'm trying to say (laughs) of time and how you were obviously then ready to be in this moment of seeing and changing and going to that place that you needed to go despite the obvious difficulties and other things that would come up with encountering something that was so loaded emotionally and and in so many other ways loaded. So it's an interesting thing too, I think, for, for artists to find those sort of pivot points of tension and how seeing is so much part of the artistic process. And sometimes seeing once we move through something becomes a choice if we're lucky to say, okay, I am going to see this versus this. And it's going to still hold the other side of it. The the dead bird is still there, but I know there's also a flower and how they can coincide, how you can slant it in such a way to see, okay, I'm going to have more of a flower day than a dead bird day. And some days are going to be more like the dead bird day than the flower. And it's, it's all, like you said, the way of seeing and the understanding and that comfort in being able to hold both mm-hmm. in one space. And I think that that's, that to me was my growing up moment, right? You know, that mm-hmm. over the last few years, feeling grateful, the story of my life and understanding it, even though it was incredibly painful. And yet being grateful for being alive, being grateful for all the gifts and the beauty and the abundance, and there's just so much goodness. And so something that can be, you know, horrific and a nightmare can also be a gift in some way. And it's hard to find those right words to describe that. And I felt that the thing with feathers is really this poem was my way of, of trying to put that into words. And the underlying idea is hope. And that's mm-hmm. really whether you're seeing the flower or the bird, you have the capacity for hope both ways. And that was really powerful for me too. Well, interesting too, with words like how it starts with catches and then how it ends with holds, holding mm-hmm. on to. So yeah, the, the, the way that we're carried into something and moved through a space as well. 
and the hold that, that it can have and how a hold can be a positive thing and not such a positive thing as well too. So again, those dualities that I think poems can can hold and, and, and in that way have that charge of energy, which I think makes them so, well, it's just why, which is why I can't read them late at night, right, Jessica? <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Because of that tension and energy. <laughs> I'm picking it exactly. up. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I, I'm looking forward to hearing from you because you, I when, when we share, just so our listeners know a little bit about our process, we email each other the poems ahead of time so we can do some thinking. And what I loved about what Catherine does is she often adds in some other text around it and I love that some little little stories and things like that too so I'm really looking forward to getting to know a little bit more about you know portals and poets and that that idea of portal where both Emily Dickinson and I for that brief moment shared a space yeah and it's fascinating you know Mm -hmm. so I'd love to hear through your experience and your journey where this has come alive for you with portals and poets when we write poems you mentioned in in uh, one of the podcasts about how you feel led into something and I think that's also part of the creative process where we're led into something and that sense of exploring something leads to the discovery of what it is that we needed to write and 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 of course craft comes into it too you sort of have to have your first draft to, to have that exploration and that happening and then you pull away and then you say well what do I have here but in that exploring space as well too oftentimes your subject matter will choose you and emotion that you need to address will, will appear in that image that you described. And for me, I was always interested in the short poem, how much can a space hold in that sort of small arena and still have that charge of what a poem can be. And I've had the pleasure of working with a, the poetry editor, uh, Paul Ramirez, who's also a, a fantastic poet. And when I published my first three books, he said to me, you know, you've written a trilogy. So there was Pupa, the Red Element, and then Winterkill. And I did not intend to write a trilogy, but the poems wanted to be a trilogy. <laughs> so in these book forms, because, well, once I was aware of that, uh, I thought, well, that's great. I, I guess that's great. I've written a trilogy, but what, what's next? And there was a poem in Winterkill, which was the third book in the trilogy. And it was inspired by a quote by Tilda Swinton. And we've talked about notebooks and the importance of keeping notebooks and writing things down because you think you're going to remember, but you generally don't. And for the longest time, I had a quote of hers in my notebook and she was asked, where is it you would like to be buried? And this is what she said. In a shallow grave of sand, done up to the nines in a huge flowery chiffon dress, stretched out like a sail on a beach in the Hebrides, packed to pieces by birds. So uh, it's a poem in and of itself, really. But I thought, I think there's something more for me there. And one day I was looking at my shelves and I thought, you know, why don't I try writing a glossa? And the glossa is a form of poetry. It was popular in the Spanish court in the 14th century. And it was brought back to contemporary poetry by P.K. Page, who's an incredible poet. So listeners, I hope you search out her work. I had the honor of meeting with her and going to her home in Victoria. And I wrote about that in the Malahat Review. They have a P.K. Page tribute page and it's there. Uh, But maybe we'll talk about that another time. But Grey Goose Vodka is uh, part of that. <laughs> but going back to the Tilda quote, wait, I thought, wait, well, wait. Why Grey not? Goose Vodka is a part of <laughs> the PK Page encounter. 
Okay. Well, the visit. Okay. You, you're going to have to get to that at some point because I know. either now or later. But uh... <laughs> well, this is where we get pulled in so many different directions during our conversations, right, Jessica? Absolutely. Yeah. I'll put that, that one to the side. But in Winter Kill, then what I did in this poem, I took Tilda's words and made sort of a pseudo gloss. So the gloss, as is mentioned, you know, from the Spanish court, 14th century, and you take four lines of another poet's work and weave it into the last of four 10 line stanzas. So you cannot write a short gloss. <laughs> You've got too many lines and stanzas to move through. So with these words from Tilda, I split them up and, and made a poem where each stanza ended with some of her words and it became the poem, The Buried. So as I say, it begins with the Tilda Swinton quote, so I will include that in the reading as well. The buried, in a shallow grave of sand, done up to the nines in a huge flower chiffon dress, stretched out like a sail on a beach in the Hebrides, pecked to pieces by birds. Tilda Swinton, the breeze soothes the summer's burning as it lifts off the lake, but the hot sand holds the white heat so we burrow our toes to find the cooling. Bury me in a shallow grave of sand. I lie back and you shovel beach over my pale body. I let the itch of it enter me. It's as if a thousand insects have taken free reign and clothed me in their stings. I am dressed up to the nines now, a level away from all that I once knew. Ahead, but when I close my eyes, I become the buried. A cloud passes over in a huge flowery chiffon dress and the sand is the smell of my new skin. The grainy case of my lungs pumps through homes of crabs. I am the sound of the underneath stretched out like a sail in a photograph. I am pure verb going nowhere. Even the wind can't move me. The sand bars my body's rise. The sand bars my body from the water's rise where time is carved back. Landlocked to the hours of sand that has no hours, only bones. I'm not afraid of you leaving. I'm only afraid of being packed to pieces by birds. You know, I read this multiple times uh, after you sent it because there's such a haunting feeling of it right from beginning to end. And the turning point for me where it, it really, it was like it, it sunk right in was I am the sound of the underneath stretched out like a sail in a photograph. There's something about that line that mm. just took it from one level. And, and, and I, I want to say it's, it's sunk deeper uh, because I have this, this feeling of sinking throughout it. I love how the Tilda Swinton lines find their way throughout the poem. You've sprinkled them. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> sprinkled isn't the right word, but mm -hmm. sprinkled them like mm -hmm. sand mm -hmm. um, throughout the poem. But it's fascinating because you have these moments, like, you know, a number of them really stand out. So the done up to the nines, right? So, and clothe me in their st stings. I'm done up to the nines now, a level away from all that I once knew. And the meaning of the line in the Tilda Swinton section feels so different than the energy that you pull it into here. And yes. yet, there's that relationship. And, and then thinking of the cloud passing over in a huge flowery chiffon dress instantly captivates my imagination. So mm -hmm. that line 
captures my imagination and I can actually see the cloud moving in that way. And I'm up in the sky. And then all of a sudden you pull me down with this line and the sand is the smell of my new skin. Like think of our skin being the smell of sand, but to think of the sand as the smell of my new skin. So I love the pull between the ground and the sky. And when I think about death, it's, you know, what little I know of it. It's mm-hmm. that idea of ground and sky, right? And it in the, yes. those few lines captures that that energy there. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> I appreciate the, the movement that you described there and the way that too, that poems in that way that they can spark different uh, sensations, not just in terms of feelings and memories, but also sort of the way that they can make us move within ourselves as well. And you mm-hmm. described that so beautifully. In my classes, we often talk about the architecture of a poem and how the architecture also serves how the reader experiences the poem. And just as that place, how you move through it, whether it's one level or two levels, or there's a basement or a tower or a lighthouse. I mean, so many architectures of how something can move and be and how that Mm -hmm. serves the experience of the poem and how we can move within it. So really appreciate how that experience for you happened because you're so close to it, as you know, when you're writing it and you're moving into the sort of space of following your intuition and the craft that you have as a poet and what you can do and be your best with something. And at some point you let it go and it becomes something else and it's not yours anymore. It's the readers. So thanks for sharing that. And I, I feel that we have more to talk about on this topic. So I wonder, we're running out of time. I'm wondering if maybe we, <laughs> we are, we I continue, know. <laughs> we continue next time, but do we have time before we go for you to tell us the story you put to the side should we bring that in do we have time for that now oh that yeah yeah well, <laughs> let me, yeah yeah I'll, I'll, I'll just briefly move into that then yes it was such a wonderful experience meeting pk and it happened sort of through happenstance our realtor happened to be pk Page's grandson. And uh, yeah, Arthur Irwin, who's a wonderful realtor, by the way. And a little did I know that my partner, John and Arthur, knowing that I had, well, I was a big fan of PK and what more can I say? (laughs) Fan. And and we happened to be going out West and he arranged, well, both of them arranged for me to meet her. So she invited us to go to her home in Victoria. And, And Arthur gave us the word that PK loves Grey Goose Vodka. Not just any vodka, but Grey Goose. And uh, so we brought a bottle and we took the ferry over. We were staying in Vancouver at the time and we found her place and she was so warm and welcoming. And at this point, I had one first book under my belt, which was Pupa, the beginning of the trilogy. And I remember working up the courage to give it to her. And she looked me me in the eye, Jessica, and she said, thank you. But you know, I might not like it. I don't think I'm making that one up. Oh my God. I I remember saying, that's okay. That's okay. So anyway, so we had a wonderful afternoon and it was pretty much like Cinderella because then we realized we had to get the ferry back and time was running away. And we, thankfully we almost missed our ferry, but we made it back to Vancouver and we had this email correspondence and she sent me this beautiful email praising Pupa. And it was, it was, it was one of those moments where, you know, here is your idol and she's saying wonderful things about your work. And, and this is the kicker part of the story now is uh yes my computer crashed (laughs) and I didn't print off that email (laughs) 
oh, and it wasn't, is this like before clouds and things like yeah. that? Cloud storage and yeah. emails being somehow mm-hmm. magically stored in the cloud. Yeah, there was no cloud. <laughs> oh, and so. I just, sorry, I'm thinking emails stored in clouds, like a huge flowery chiffon dress. <laughs> I know, I was thinking about that too with the clouds. I thought, there we are, it's all connected. <laughs> it totally is. Yes. Oh yeah. So. Oh well that your book Pupa though is a wonderful book. I remember buying that book and enjoying it and I loved the way you organized the poems in that book and it was the first time for me that I really thought about how poems in a book are organized and I learned that from you so so thank well, you. Well and also I I learned that from working with Paul. He's a wonderful editor and we realized too that here were the stages of uh, a butterfly's life weaved within that particular book and how pupa also is the Latin word for doll and how doll poems were part of the collection as well. And so, see, we could just keep talking. We could. Well, you know what? We will. And our listeners can join us again next week. That's right, Jessica. So, uh, read poetry at your peril, but do read poetry, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so we finish our chat with Just Another Day by the talented Shannon Linton. <laughs>